Hello, this is Ruth Haley Barton, and you are listening to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. I'm founder of the Transforming Center, and I'm here with Steve Weens, senior pastor of Genesis in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and a good friend. Uh, Steve is also a Transforming Community alum, which means that we have been on the transformational journey together, laughing, sometimes crying, growing, and experiencing Christ's transforming presence in community with other leaders. Thanks, Ruth. This season, we're working through, talking through, and praying through one of our transforming resources, The Deeper Journey by M. Robert Mulholland Jr. Creating space to hear from God is the most strategic thing you can do in your leadership, whether you're leading in a church or in some other setting. So if you find yourself wondering if you're sacrificing the health of your heart and soul for the sake of ministry, consider joining the next Transforming Community, a practice-based spiritual formation experience for leaders offered in nine quarterly retreats. Learn more and apply by visiting transformingcenter.org TC. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Well, here we are in episode five, which is based on chapter five, which is called Abandoning the False Self. And Ruth, I think one of the things he writes uh, on page 107 gets us right into it. And mm-hmm. I quote, the place where we live out our relationship of loving union with God is not in the quiet of our prayer closet, but in our relationships with one another. Here is where we put to death the manipulative, coercive, controlling dynamics of the false self. Here is where we abandon the dehumanizing and abusive practices of the false self. We love others. Mm-hmm. I can feel myself saying amen to that big time. Yeah. I also know that that's such a bizarre thing to think about. So how do we mm-hmm. even think about doing that in our actual real lives? Yeah. Oh, that is really important, I think, because um, I have been concerned that the way we've been talking has been a bit theoretical, but I I do want to get practical. And it occurred to me, and it has occurred to me, that one of the ways that we can be helped to know what we exactly do in our false selves, like what is false within me, what are my false self patterns, is to use a tool like the Enneagram or the Seven Deadly Sins or something like that, that actually help us to name and to own what exactly it is that we do in our false self. Um, And, you know, for years and years, we have used the Enneagram as a tool for this kind of self-knowledge. The the Enneagram by itself cannot transform you. Um, That's why I would consider it a tool for self-knowledge, which can lead to transformation if we're on this journey of abandonment and surrender to God. Amen? Yes. Yes. Um, I think sometimes I see people using it a little bit like a parlor game where it's just a good conversation starter or it's even the way I've even had people introduce themselves to me that way before they even give me their name. They give me their Enneagram number, which feels very weird to me because the Enneagram is designed to help us to name our false self pattern. It's designed to help us to name our besetting sin or our darker passion, however we want to name that. And so, you know, that's not something I'm particularly proud of. So I'm not going to be introducing myself to you on that basis. You know, to me, that shows that people don't really know what the Enneagram is. If they're introducing themselves by their number before you even know their name, (laughs) they do not know that they are introducing themselves by their besetting sin, by their Their darker passion, their false self. But 
you know, it, we've been using it in this way for years and years, and it occurs to me that this might be a really good place, Steve, for us just to have a really high-level conversation about the Enneagram. High level in that we usually teach this in three hours or six hours. We're not going to do that today. High level in that we're going to take a minute on each yep. number to name what the besetting sin or the shadow might be um, as a way of getting really practical about this issue of love and surrender in our relationships and what it might look like to open to abandonment to God, you know, in those areas. So many, many people are familiar with the Enneagram these days, so we don't need to introduce it too much, but it is, it is a typology or a tool that helps us to name our darker passions, our, our besetting sin. And in this conversation, um, what our unique take is on the false self, you know? Yes. And these false self patterns, they begin to form early in our lives based on usually our family of origin experiences, maybe even in utero. Some people believe, and I would tend to agree that there are yep. some experiences that they're, we're aware of even in utero, like even in utero, a baby is aware of whether or not it's wanted. Even in mm. utero, a baby can hear the environment outside its mother's body and hear whether it's a volatile or a dangerous environment or whether it's a loving environment. So there's evidence that even babies in the womb can begin to develop um, these unconscious coping mechanisms that eventually emerge as um, patterns that help us yeah. to stay safe in the midst of um, environments that don't feel safe or nurturing. So I thought it might be good for us, Steve, just to walk through the Enneagram numbers. And I'm, we're not going to be the end all on that. You can go find many, many books on the Enneagram, and maybe we can list a few in the show notes. But um, I just want to, at very high level, go over each one of the Enneagram numbers and talk about this very thing. What does the false self look like with this number? And then what does it look like to set that aside in order to become my true self in God? And um, I really think that the language fits extremely well with Paul's language of putting on and putting off, putting on the new nature, uh, putting off the old, that the Enneagram helps us to identify the old nature um, so that we can put on the new. Um, how it is it God wants us to be in the world now in his ongoing work of redemption in our lives? So I'm going to start with the, the number one, um, and it, this is a typology that has a number associated with each space. And the number one has really been shaped by a need and a desire and an attachment to being seen as good and right, to being good and right. And so their whole identity is nailed to this idea of being good and right. Um, and so the, the false self pattern, the false self manifestation is that this kind of person always wants everything to be right. They're always correcting people. They're always uh, feeling like they have a better way to do anything and everything. Um, they find it very difficult to, to let anything just be what it is. They're often a much more rigid type of a personality. Um, and I remember my friend, my friends, Doug and Adele, when they used to teach us about this in the Transforming Center, and um, Doug is one. And Adele would be cutting a tomato and he would come down the stairs and say, don't you want to use a different knife? And don't you think it'd be better to cut it this way? Like she couldn't even cut a tomato yes. in a way that felt right and good. And so uh, this, this need to be right and good, that's how the one identifies themselves. So let's talk for a minute, Steve, about our experiences with ones. And so that's the old pattern that I've just named. Always need to be good and right, very rigid in that, always, you know, trying to 
uh, correct the whole world about how things could be done better. Um, and that's a very stuck place. It's no fun to be that kind of person either, you know. Um, and it's certainly hard to, you know, be around that kind of person for anybody who's trying. So what would be the um, invitation to transformation for that number or the putting on of a new self um, in, in that number? Well, I think the, the surprise of the ones, because they can be so critical of everyone's, the way they cut tomatoes and do everything. And there can be a, they tend to notice what's wrong first. But the, but the silent secret is that their own voice, their self-critical voice is the loudest. It's so loud in their mind. And, and it's even, they're even more critical toward themselves than they are toward others. So I think the pathway toward true self is to sit in some spaces where uh, they can be affirmed for who they are apart from what they do, apart from what they fix, apart from uh, any reforming of anything. They need to mm -hmm. sit and be loved and appreciated and liked. Um, and probably they also need to, you know, from time to time, just silent themselves <laughs> from yeah. correcting the other yeah. person. Just, just not all the time, but just some of the times. <laughs> Just let it be good enough. Let somebody yeah. else be good enough. Let what they're doing and the way they're doing it be good enough. And that is cruciform right there. See, right. that's what I'm what that's what I'm saying. It's cruciform to say, oh, everything in me wants to tell her how to cut the tomato. But maybe the way she's cutting the tomato is okay. And maybe I could be quiet and let her cut the tomato the way she wants to cut the tomato. And what are you doing in that moment? You are setting aside, you have the right to say something if you want to, but you're setting that aside um, so that something different and better can emerge, you know, right. in that moment, something more grace, something more uh, spirit breathed, you know, and, and the moment becomes a different moment because we're able to put off that normal way in which we function and put on something new and something different. Um, which, because God's inviting us to do it, 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 it is authentic. It's an authentic yes. expression of ourselves and probably more authentic than a person <laughs> who's just so stuck and in bondage to needing to correct and fix everything. Yeah. And it gets you out of the loop of correcting and fixing everything, which is a little deadening, you know? That's right. So you actually open yourself up to experiencing the warmth of just being with someone in the moment versus That's having right. to reform or fix something. Yeah. And the moment being enough just as it is without us having to fix the moment. Um, so we're just getting a rhythm here of the putting off and the putting on and very, you know, it's very simple. We're talking about it at the simplest possible uh, level, but, um, but these are the kinds of opportunities there are. And it's, and it's really this concrete and this specific. So for the twos, um, the twos are the ones who like to love and take care of everyone. Um, but often they do it in a self-serving way. They give love to get love. Um, they think of themselves very highly in terms of their ability to take care of everyone and meet their needs. And so oftentimes there's a darker passion of pride beneath what they do because they are just determined they're going to be the best lovers, the best at fixing, at, at giving people what they need. But in that way, then they also want people to be beholden to them. And there, there's right. often, um, uh, there's often strings attached to yes. being loved by a two. It's a bit transactional. Um, so that's the darker passion of being the two is wanting to be the best at loving and wanting to get love back because you've given love. Um, but of course, you know, the beautiful side of a two 
would be the ability to give love and give care and to do it very freely and to not have to get anything back or um, to not have to be the best at it and to be okay if somebody doesn't need you, to be okay right. if somebody doesn't need or want your love or want what it is. You know how sometimes twos can get very offended if they want to help, <laughs> but you say, thank you, but I'm feeling, you know, feeling a little um, like I need my space here. I don't yes. need that. And they're like, oh, well, okay then, you know. Right. Um, and so, so a two could actually tolerate, a transforming two could actually tolerate having somebody say, you know what, I don't need that from you right now. Um, and the transformational journey for a two can be to know that you're loved and valued even when you're not giving and helping yep. and loving yeah. and um, to give and receive love in a whole, in a whole different kind of way. Um, so um, the, the putting off would be, First of all, the willingness to not have to help if somebody doesn't want your help and not being attached to it and nailed to it, um, to be able to offer your love freely with no strings attached, to also be able to receive love back from other people um, and not have to always be the one who's helping. Um, and that would be a putting off of our manipulative use of love um, and putting on a whole different identity someone who can be okay even when I'm not the one who's doing and helping and be okay even when my brand of helping isn't what somebody else wants. I'm still okay. Uh, and that would be a very freed up too right there. Right. And and even putting off the what feels natural when you start to get resentful and angry to either storm off or help even more to, to put off those, those quote unquote natural responses and then to sit with what do I need? And what does my body really need right now, want right now? What does a boundary look like right now? And as you noticed before, noticing when my helpfulness seems intrusive or controlling of others, putting off that desire just to keep pressing in and instead pull back and be okay. Pull back and be okay. And I don't know about you, Steve, but um, I feel like you, like you can almost feel the health in the putting on that we're talking about, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, you can, you can feel how that releasing oneself to God and surrendering oneself to God versus having to do things a certain way and be a certain way and being acknowledged as a certain kind of being. We're talking about freedom here. Right. We're talking about the freedom that God has for us. The freedom that comes from knowing that, that, um, my identity comes from God, not from this particular pattern that I've been yep. in bondage to for so long. Yeah, a, a, a redeeming two is beautiful to behold because there's just the pressure just like you can see them walking lighter because they yes, no absolutely. longer have to put pressure on people to validate them. You That's know, right. And they offer what them. they have to offer freely. So you feel like mm -hmm. you really can say yes or no, um, yep. you know, um, and usually you get a, a lot of good loving from a two. Uh, yeah. a two that's on that redemptive journey. Twos are amazing. Yeah. So the three, let me kick it over to you, Steve. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> so threes love to get things done quickly, efficiently. We love, I say we, cause I I've said it before. I am a three staying active and staying busy, competing, achieving recognition, getting credit for accomplishments, uh, adjusting to whatever is required for success, promoting myself, looking good. We put this on at an early age because we needed to, because we felt like 
I needed to to get an I needed to not not get an A, but just be better than the next person. <laughs> you know, a B would be fine as long as it was better than the next person. And um, you know, threes uh, can feel very stressed out uh, if we don't we aren't getting in touch with what we feel and what we value when we do too much. And that's, we're at the center of the heart triad. So typically we'll feel other people's feelings before we feel our own. And um, we can get really impatient with other people, irritable with other people. We can even get angry with other people for not doing as much as we can do. Um, now I think the, the sweet parts of a three are, we really know how to, how to elevate people, how to get people going onto a project that's meaningful. I think when we're at our best, we know how to, um, how to be an energetic force in the room for good. Uh, when we're at our worst, we're self-centered chameleons who only care about looking better than the next person. And that's a really tiring person to be around. So um what, so what have does it you look seen like to put that, well what's it like to put that part off you know to put off the old self what is that like it it really does mean getting in touch with what you feel that's mm -hmm. number one for a three it's so hard um so then we're not becoming a, so much of a chameleon because a lot of what drives us is we're entering into rooms and sensing what we need to do in order to achieve recognition and fame and that's in the end exhausting so we need to give that up the entering the room and feeling like we need to dominate it or you know uh, start moving toward the people with the most influence we need to back off and stay at the edges and and let people come to us and um, those are just some of the things but it's we we have to find ways to um to to get out of the center of attention and stop self-promoting we just have to and I've heard also that even the ability, the willingness to accept failure and to name it as oh, yeah. failure when it happens is yep. a, is an important discipline um, in that regard. It might seem like a really odd thing, but it's an important, it's an important discipline. Um, so not to be too overly identified with persona and yep. with accomplishments and success. Yeah. Put that aside and yep. be um, able and willing to just be a self in God's presence and for that to be enough. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of freedom in that. A lot of freedom in that. Yep. So we're putting on and putting off. I kind of like, I like talking about this in that way um, because it's biblical, but it's also real. It is possible in moments when we see this stuff happening to put off the old nature and to put on something new, you know, to just try it out in a different way today, you know? Yeah. And I've, I've noticed like as a three, putting on the group's needs and putting mm -hmm. off my own needs at times, Different from identifying what I feel, but that can be very a very powerful way of cruciform love of mm -hmm. of you know again putting off my own desire for recognition, putting on uh, what's best for the group, best for the team. Yeah. What about fours, Ruth? Um, well, fours are people who really just need to know that they're special. Um, these are usually the ones that have the artist temperament. Um, they're creatives usually. They are all about authenticity and they want everything to be intensely authentic. Um, so the challenge for the four is to sometimes not have to be the one in the room who's the most special. Mm. Um, 
to sometimes limit how much of our feelings and drama we put on other people. Um, sometimes it can be a really loving thing to do to keep some of that stuff to ourselves and um, work towards equanimity and bringing peace to the room rather than more drama to the room. Um, so those are, those are some of the things that, that are, that are challenging to the fore, um, to, to sometimes engage the aspects of this world that aren't beautiful, um, that actually can be quite ugly and difficult and that can cause a lot of internal angst and pain. But for the four to engage some of those aspects of life in our world is, is a really important discipline. Um, so we're, we're, you know, we're putting off sometimes, um, our need to be the most special in the room, letting somebody else be special. We're putting yep. off the over-dramatization of all of our feelings or always having to go deep all the time, even when yep. that might not be what other people in the room actually want. Yep. Um, and we're putting on a more peaceful presence and bringing more peace and equanimity um, to rooms that, that we're in and sometimes letting the spotlight be on somebody else. Um, those are all things that, um, that are the, the putting on and the putting off, you know, for the four. And there's a lot of freedom in that for the four as well. I think fours spend a lot of energy trying to be special, but if they can let go of that and know that they already are special in God and they don't need to work for that, they, then they can start to bring peace and equanimity and they're not fighting so much for what's already true. And that is that they and everyone else are all very, very special and, um, who we are in God is, is all that we need to be. Yeah. And I've, I would also add fours that are experiencing more and more of their true selves are putting off, uh, reacting right away. You know, when the emotions are intense, yes. they're, they're, they're mm -hmm. putting off that desire to, to react when that emotion is the most mm -hmm. intense and to wait until that subsides a bit so that you can have some more perspective on what's happening and not That's just right. blast someone with, the feeling that you're having in the moment and calling that authentic connection, you know, right. Um, putting off the need for that, even aggressive attention and saying, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put on some harmony here That's relationally right. and do some of my work. Um, yeah. But yeah. And, and not needing to just say every single thing they feel. Right. <laughs> And load right. that on people, you know, yeah. like sometimes yeah. you can hold a little bit back and that's a very redeeming thing to do. Very loving thing to do for the people around you. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I think then forests do start feeling better about themselves too, when they see that they do have some self-control. Absolutely. Um, so anyway, so that's the putting on and the putting off for the four. Um, and by the way, you know, we're moving through these things so quickly. I don't want to be dismissive or lighthearted with them, you know, in the extreme, because these dynamics that we see on the surface, they come from deep places inside, right. you know? That, and yes. so, so the challenge is when we see ourselves, you know, stuck in our false self patterns that search me, Oh God, I know my heart, try me and know my thoughts, see if there be any wicked or unproductive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Sometimes that prayer needs to take us down deeper to where is that coming from? Right. Right. You know? um, and opening up to God on that level where you can deal with the source and not just the surface behavior. And I think that's the challenge that even Mulholland's drawing us into in the deeper journey is, is to understand what are the deeper dynamics that are driving the behavior at the surface. That's so good, Ruth. And thanks for mentioning that. We are sort of buzzing through these. And even as we laugh, there, there's the, the hopefully the laughter is 
is uh, translated into, oh, this is universally hard yeah. for all of us. And so That's we right. need the spirit's help as what's as we think what's behind this. And if you are feeling particularly... <laughs> You know, like zeroed in on one of them and you feel, oh, that's me. That's a pretty typical feeling of when you've identified your number. <laughs> you yeah. you don't want to be it. But that's okay. partly because you this there's stuff that we all need to need to lay down and and and, right. and put off. Okay, so let's talk about the fives. Uh, first of all, there are some things I really love about fives. Uh, I love how uh, they really bring all the information to the meeting. For example, if you have a five on your team, they're prepared. They're going to give you all the pros and cons. They're going to give you all the research. Uh, they're very knowledgeable and thoughtful. And when you ask a five, hey, tell me about the research that you've done to address the problem we're trying to solve or the solution that we're trying to find. Uh, they are typically so helpful and you need that. You need a five in the room to help you uh, really go all the way there without skipping uh, process, right? I love how respectful and calm typically fives are in crises. Uh, I love how dependable they are. And really, they they love simplicity in a way that's very helpful. And, uh, and they're, you know, they have a really uh, great way of keeping confidences, you don't have to worry about fives, um, maybe share oversharing the things that you wanted to keep secret or, or to keep in confidence, you know what I mean? So just to start off with, those are the things I love about the fives. Ruth, uh, what do you see in the five? Well, um, the fives are those who really are um, the intellectual types who like to think, like information. They, um, they like to figure stuff out intellectually and with lots of research and information before they do anything. And oftentimes fives can be actually paralyzed because there can never be enough information for them to feel absolutely certain about anything. Um, so fives oftentimes live in their heads and for people who are close to them, who feel emotions, it can be sometimes really hard if a five can't give them any emotion, can't cry with them sometimes or understand the depth of what people go through in their human experience. So um, there's an over-reliance on the intellect, an over-reliance on information to cause one to feel secure and safe in moving forward. Um, there can even be way too many questions with a five. Um, that rather than being able to be with anything, they just keep peppering you with questions or asking questions about the situation. Um, whereas sometimes what's really called for is just to be able to sit with the emotion with somebody. Um, or sometimes we're asked to move forward in God and take a risk without having all the information. Um, and so that, that's a very challenging place. So, um, so sometimes for the five, what they put off or what they set aside is that, um, that intellect is always working so hard um, mm -hmm. so that you can actually drop down into the human experience and feel with other people and, and offer true compassion. You know, when Jesus, uh, Jesus saw the, you know, the 5,000 and saw that they were sheep without a shepherd. And it said that 
he felt compassion for them. I mean, he felt something. And so for fives, the challenge to feel something sometimes. Right, right. Um, is it would be a very loving thing to do and a very cruciform thing to do to say, I could ask a bunch of questions right now. I am really curious about this. Um, I really want to know this or that, but to say, but no, no, I'm not going to throw my questions at it right now. I'm just going to sit and let this person weep in my presence and I might shed a tear as well. And so you're, you're putting on um, another aspect of our humanity which is really beautiful and it's cruciform because you have the right to ask your questions if you want to, of course, to try to gather in information, but of your own accord and willingly you're setting it aside. You're, you're um, taking it off and putting on something else that's more appropriate in the moment. And that, that's what of, it looks like. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Exactly. And I think a five can put off uh, the, what feels like the endless need to research more. Uh, before they take action, they can, they can say that like a one sometimes need to needs to say that that there's enough a five needs to say that this is enough research. Yeah. And for the sevens or threes or eights on their team, they can say, Okay, even though I would love to do more research, it is it, yeah. it, it is okay that we act now. Yeah. Um, I think they can put on a loving uh, cruciform um, loving action toward the, toward their teammates or partners by taking action, even when they're not quite ready. Cause fives probably won't feel ready most of the ever. time. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think, um, for fives to be able to sit in a meeting, for instance, and to realize, you know, I do have more questions, but I don't need to take the group's time for that today because I can see and feel where the spirit is leading us. And yeah, I could ask five more questions, but that would just bog us down. That wouldn't be loving. It wouldn't be considerate. I'm going to just hold my questions and, yes. you know, trust that God's got us and that God's leading us. Yeah. Um, and that's a discernment, isn't it? It's yep. a discernment as to whether or not the questions are important or whether or not the questions could be set aside lovingly because it's not going to really do much in terms of furthering the situation. Yeah. Um, are really practical ways to set self aside for the good of others. Yep. Well, we've made it to the six. Sixes are the ones that feel the most fear. Um, they're often um, governed by fear and anxiety in an untransformed state. Um, they hesitate to take risks. Um, could be that that in their early family of origin they weren't um you know they didn't have strong enough attachment to their uh, parental figures or whatever to try things and then come back and um know that they would be secure and safe um sixes are often very duty bound uh they're very loyal and faithful to anyone that they commit themselves to um and so of course there's so much more could, that could be said but um Sixes will often be the ones that ask a lot of questions. They too will ask a lot of questions, but it's often more out of fear rather than trying yeah. to get intellectual information. They're trying to get, they're trying to feel secure and safe in doing what they're going to be doing. They are often running ahead, looking at scenarios, seeing the thing that could go wrong. Um, you know, afraid of what could go wrong. Sometimes they can be experienced as people who sort of drag their feet and they're unwilling to take a risk, you know, for all those reasons. Um, the six brings a lot of value as well, though, because they often ask the really good questions that um, prevent us from having to experience every single bad thing that could happen, <laughs> you know? Um, 
So you really want to have sixes around and you want to have their questions because their questions often point to things that maybe some of the more visionary types um, wouldn't, wouldn't be thinking of. And so it's really valuable in that way. Um, I think for the sixes, sometimes there's going to be the invitation to put off their fear and to embrace a willingness to risk something, because that seems to be what God is calling us to do. Um, and so that's a, that's a hard place, but for the transforming six, they know when they know that place, they know, oh, this is not a time for me to just drag my feet and resist and ask more questions. I can see what God's doing here and I'm going to go with it, even though it feels a little risky. I'm going to put my fear aside because God seems to be at work here and I'm going to go with my colleagues or my whatever, and I'm, and we're going to go with this. Um, and so the, you know, the putting off and the putting on now there is the counterphobic six as well. And this is the complicated one, the place where you're probably um, most confused. But the counterphobic six is still governed by fear, but they're very aggressive in how they react to their fear. And so a lot of times police, police officers and soldiers and people like that are actually counterphobic sixes who have a lot of fear. But the way that they're going to deal with their fear is they're going to be the strong one and they're going to be preemptive. Um, they're going to have the power. They're going to have the control. They're going to make sure that they are never in a vulnerable situation. Um, so the counterphobic six can actually look like an eight a lot of the time, yeah. um, but they're motivated differently than the eight. And that's how you know is what they're, what they're motivated by. Um, and so for the counterphobic six, they're still motivated by fear, like the regular six, but what they do with that is to gather up strength and make sure that they're the one in control and can make the world safe and keep themselves safe and all that. So, um, there's a lot to be said about fear in our culture right now because a lot of what's happening is being driven by fear and the willingness to incite fear among people. Right, right. And that's why I think it seems like for some sixes, they need to put off or put down the continual um, need to get safe in other people's choices and decisions. And they actually need to find their own sense of validity yeah. and sense of authority. They need to reclaim faith in themselves That's to be right. quite honest, so they don't get swept away uh, in, in, in fear by other people's decisions and choices. Right. Right. And yeah. And trust their own relationship with God, you know, trust that God is speaking to them and that they can act and move out based on what God is saying to them without needing so much from external authorities. Yeah. yeah. So um, the putting off and the putting on. So let's talk about the number seven. Uh, these are the fun-loving people that love to partay, and you want them at your party because they bring the fun. Um, they are often funny. They um, love to make fun plans and invite other people into their plans. They um, they love good food, good drink, um, lots of vibrant surroundings. They help us all with our positive outlook on life. Um, in the darker part, though, of who a seven is, um, they are often someone who has found ways to avoid pain. Maybe they've had some pain in their past and pain scares them. They don't want to have anything to do with it. And so they often will skate along the surface of everything, having a lot of fun on the way, always looking out to what the next party or the next event's going to be and having a very hard time being in the moment with hard things and hard realities. Um, Sevens can come across as being flighty and distracted because they do bounce from one thing to another. Um, so much captures their attention. 
Um, they're always planning. They're always thinking to the future. And so one of the challenges for the seven is to be in the moment and to trust and believe that this moment is enough just like it is. And I don't have to be thinking ahead to something else. It's also a real challenge to sevens to sit present with their own pain or someone else's pain. And so one of the things that a seven can do that can be really hurtful is when someone is going through something difficult and choosing to share about that and the seven starts to feel very, very uncomfortable with the other person's pain. And so oftentimes it'll be a seven that cracks a joke or changes the subject or something like that. And it's really painful to the person whose emotions and guts are all hanging out and the seven just didn't have the ability to stay present to it. So um, for the seven, well, Steve, do you want to say anything more about the seven before we go to that putting on and putting off? Well, I just, I remember this one wise person was with a group of us and, and was asking about the Enneagram and they got to a seven and they said, Oh, I'm a seven. And he said, Oh, you're a seven. Well, you need to watch the third drink, taking the third drink. The first two drinks are fine, but that third drink is going to be your, and and I think just in that one little, little, uh, example was such wisdom in saying that you're going to, you're going to want to just keep going. You're going to want to maybe deny what's really happening and, and not have a limit. But, um, so anyway, I, I just would add that mm-hmm. there's an indulgence maybe yeah. in sevens that is hard. If, if a party's good, let's make it That's great. Right. That's right. You know? Yeah. So exactly. Um, One's not yeah. enough. One is never enough. You know, there's yeah. more, more yeah. will always be better, um, with the yeah. sevens. So, um, for the sevens to put off superficiality, you know, um, to just, realize that that is not going to serve well the journey with God and with others. Um, And then to be willing to put on sometimes the ability to sit with people in the harder places, to be willing to sit with themselves and to acknowledge the harder places in their own lives, to do what Jesus says in the Beatitude, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted, to actually mourn griefs and losses and to trust that God will meet you there. Um, That's what the seven you know, puts on. And of course, they'll always continue to bring the fun and to be the person right. everyone loves to have around. That will be so real in them that you'll never not have that. But there are moments when that part needs to be put off, uh, at least for a time, in order to be present to the human experience and to what others are going through, to when, you know, making light and making jokes and changing the subject just wouldn't be loving and it wouldn't be um, being in God for the world. So, um, So that's what it is for the seven. And I think a seven is truly on the transformational journey when they are beginning to be able to be present to their own grief and their own sadness to experience God in that place, because then they become that kind of presence for others. You know, then when they're with people in their hard places, um, it's just, they, they know what to do. They know how to be there with that person in a way that has meaning and that is appropriate um, for some of the hard things that go on in our human experience. So again, sometimes putting off that part that um, is avoidance, really. I mean, that would be, you know, the MO of sevens a lot is to just avoid the pain, do whatever you have to do to avoid the pain, including substance abuse, by the way, um, and gluttony. And so sevens are going to have to put that off in order to be in God for the world sometimes. Uh, What about eights, Ruth? Well, eights are the powerful ones. Eights are the ones who run towards the fight. Um, Eights 
um, are all about the power and control and making sure that they, they, they walk into the room and they know who's got the power and they try to take that person down. Um, it's just in them to want to be the one who's the top dog. Um, and, um, eights are usually very powerful personally in, in their own selves. And, um, so power is very important to them and having power and working towards being the powerful person is what drives them. Um, oftentimes this is because they have been hurt as younger children in their family of origin. And so they have felt vulnerability and their feeling inside is I am never going to be vulnerable like that again. I'm, right. I'm always going to make sure that I have the power and control so that nothing like that can ever happen to me again. Um, eights like to take charge. Um, even if it's quiet, you know, there's still a person, there can be a personality difference with eights. There are extroverts and there are introverts, but, um, both kinds can, both of those personality types can be eights. It just comes across differently. Um, so, um, eights though are also very drawn to vulnerability. They love pets. They love babies. They love the underdog and they will often take up the cause of the underdog. And so, um, in that way, um, they can be, they can be really important in causes that have to do with justice and rights and bringing up those who have been oppressed. And if they have been on the transformational journey where they have learned how to use their power for good versus using their power um, to bully people um, and to do damage, uh, they're really, really important in our world as it has to do with social justice and other kinds of justice. Um, so what the eight has to put off sometimes is that, um, that need to always be in control and to be the most powerful one in the room to sometimes let themselves be the vulnerable one and receive care. And then also, um, to be on the side of others who are downtrodden, to be on the side of those who have been oppressed. Um, but to do it, you know, in that very challenging biblical way to be angry and do not sin, you know, to somehow right. figure out a way to to have that strength, um, but to not sin with it, you know, to not dominate other people with it, to not hurt other people, um, in a bullying sort of way. Um, and so, you know, that's some of the challenge for the eight is to put off always having to have so much power and control. Um, but then to put on and to maintain that sense of justice and, um, protection for other people, but to do it in a way that is God honoring versus just coming out of one's human dynamics. For some reason, I have been drawn to eights my whole life. And some of my very best friends have always been eights. And I've noticed that eights need to put off, um, even in communication, their, their need to be quick and efficient and direct. Mm -hmm. And they need to put on <laughs> sometimes the loving, uh, un, unnatural, uncomfortable, communicating with a little more heart, a little more love, mm -hmm. a little more sensitivity and a little more passion that's in there because right. they do fight for the underdog. That's, that's, I think, primarily what they're motivated by to hold the door open for those who've been, the door's been slammed shut. And to let some of their own vulnerability show sometimes, you know? Hmm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. And that's one of my friends who's an eight says that she needs to allow like, when she enters a room, she needs to physically pull, pull back about 10 feet from where her force naturally yeah. goes, mm -hmm. you know, 
to be yourself, to be direct, to be, but, but to not have to go out 50 feet, you know, maybe 30 feet is enough. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And you don't have to beat people up. I mean, I think that's the other thing right. is that um, you don't have to beat people up to show that you're in charge or to, you know, be in charge of yourself. Um, right. And I think those are some of the fine lines that eights learn to find. So, and there's a lot of, there's a lot underneath there to be paid attention to when, when you feel that, that desire for power and control just ramping up inside you and you, you feel yeah. like you're going to take down the person that seems to be in charge. Boy, there's a, that's a time for reflection. That is a time to stop, to notice, yeah. to welcome the Holy yeah. Spirit in and to invite the Holy yeah. to consent to the work of the Spirit when those impulses are there. And then the nines, um, the nines are the peace at any price sort of folks. Uh, they do not like conflict. Um, they want to keep the peace. They seem to have a sixth sense for what other people expect of them and they try to give it. Um, they want to stay connected and comfortable and calm. And so in an untransformed state, they will often run out of the room before they will be a part of a conflictual conversation. The minute the conversation gets sticky, they're so uncomfortable, they want to leave and maybe they want to pacify the group. And oftentimes nines will give up on things that they really believe in just to keep the peace. And they don't offer to the group what they know and what they really believe. And the other thing about nines is that oftentimes they don't want to assert themselves. They're, they're not accustomed to asserting themselves. And so oftentimes we don't even know what they're, what they're thinking. But then when a nine talks, there's so much wisdom because they've been listening forever and ever. And they've been putting right. it together um, in their minds in a way that's actually very helpful. Um, nines can be seen as being kind of sleepy, you know, and kind of numb. And that falling asleep, if you will, has to do with the numbing out and not wanting to be caught in the conflicts and in the hard places that life in our world requires. Um, they might not even have an understanding of people who keep putting themselves out there and putting themselves in the fray. Cause they're like, why do you do that? Why do you do that to yourself? Cause they wouldn't choose to do that. Um, and nines can tend to be passive aggressive because they, they're trying to avoid the conflict. They don't really want you to know that they disagree or they don't really want you to know how they feel, but they will register it through um, behavior that's passive aggressive. So, yeah. Um, so for the nines, sometimes it means that the nines have to put off their desire for peace at any price and put on that courageous, you know, be strong and courageous and I will be with you. And they need to put yeah. that on and actually offer themselves, uh, offer their opinion, offer uh, the, the, what they have that comes from having listened deeply to everybody in the room. Um, not always be willing to sacrifice their own authentic essential self just to keep the peace. And that's a matter for real discernment for nines, but um, sometimes the, they're going to have to put off the superficial desire for peace at any price and put on um, a more courageous initiating presence so that people actually hear from them and so that the gifts that they have by God's grace to bring the world actually get given. Yeah. Nines can really be ignored mm -hmm. actually. Yeah. And so I think, putting on some courage to say, Hey, I, I have something to mm -hmm. say here. That's right. or, hey, I have, I have something because they're going to likely feel the feeling of the room too. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to say, this is my viewpoint is very helpful. Or even this is what I'm hearing from having listening to you, to you people for a long time. This is what I'm hearing. Um, and I, exactly. and I think nines have to work against laziness too. Um, yep. there's definitely, um, 
that desire not to stir things up or whatever and to numb out means that oftentimes nines can be a little lazy in terms of whether or not they're willing to really attack life and get out there and do what's theirs to do. Um, so again, there are deep dynamics that cause these surface behaviors. And our job on the deeper journey is to not only know and see and name the behaviors, but also to be willing to dive down into it and to say, what is causing that? God, as you search me and know me, help me not just to name the behavior, but help me to name what it is that's underneath that is producing right. that behavior. And then, you know, help me to metanoia, help me to turn, turn away mm -hmm. and turn around and um, engage in some new way so that I'm walking on the path of everlasting life. It's, this is really the invitation and it's, and it's this concrete. And I think that's why I wanted to work with the Enneagram just a little bit is, is to say each of us has choices to make like this every day of our lives. Um, and this is the transformational journey is to see and know these things and then to make a choice that's going with God, going with abandonment and surrender to God, rather than continuing to live within our own uh, human made patterns of keeping ourselves safe and secure and loved and all that sort of thing. The deeper journey is the journey of surrender in these places. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Ruth. I loved how practical that was and how connected something like the Enneagram, which many of us have a familiarity with, but connecting that to the deep, deep work that Mulholland is doing here. Uh, and as we look forward to the last couple of uh, episodes, we're going to be talking about putting on the new nature. And uh, so I think that work, the Enneagram is so important. So thank you for that. Mm. Um, one interesting book that fits with the language of our podcast here is Self to Lose, Self to Find by Marilyn Vansill. And I think that's interesting because she she writes her book in this very vein of losing the false self and finding the true self. So that might be a good bridge for some of you who are listening and may not be familiar with the Enneagram. Um, hers is a very, um, uh, I, I, I want to say entry level, but I don't mean that. I mean that there's an ease to accessing her work. And I think that this idea of um, losing what we need to lose to find what we need to find is a really nice way in. You know, when Bob wrote The Deeper Journey, the Enneagram was not all the rage that it is now. But later on, he did refer to it in his teachings when we were when he was with us here in the Transforming Center. And I know that he would appreciate the way in which the Enneagram helps us to get very concrete about what to put off and put on. And for us, that's the application of the Enneagram today is, is how do we know what to put off and put on? How do we identify that? So as we conclude, I want to remind us that the Enneagram, as we're using it here, is not another version of Strength Finders or Myers-Briggs or something like that, trying to help us identify our strengths. Really, um, Oddly, the Enneagram is helping us to identify our besetting sin or our dark passion, um, that thing in us that makes it hardest for us to abandon ourselves to loving union with God. And some people would say that the Enneagram identifies the seven deadly sins plus two. Um, and so I want to highlight each number's besetting sin. Um, because I want us to be clear that we're talking about what to put off and the Enneagram helps us to identify that. And we're really talking just about patterns today. Numbers aren't all that important um, as long as we're able to identify the patterns. So for the one, the besetting sin is anger. 
that nobody does it as well as I do and the world is not perfect. Um, for the two, the besetting sin is pride, pride that I am the best lover and I'm the one that does loving the best. Uh, for the three, there's a lot of deceit. That's the besetting sin. That's the darker pattern, deceiving and doing whatever I need to do to convince other people that I'm successful and to keep that impression in their minds. Uh, for the four, the besetting sin is envy and needing to take something from someone else in order to feel special ourselves. For the five, it's avarice or greed, and that is hoarding information, hoarding our energies to ourselves. Uh, for the six, the, the deadly sin is fear, fear that keeps us from risking and giving ourselves fully to God. For the seven, the besetting sin is gluttony, um, always needing a little bit more. Uh, for the eight, the besetting sin is lust, and that is using violence to get what we want from other people and to be in control of them. And then number nine, the besetting sin is sloth or laziness and an unwillingness to engage. And so uh, these are the darker patterns of our lives. And this is what we're invited by God's grace to put off so that we can put on those characteristics that enable us to give ourselves to God and so that we can find our life hidden with Christ in God. Well, Holland ends this chapter with some really penetrating questions. Um, the first one is, where has God been probing aspects of your false self, especially your religious false self, with the call to put to death that false self? Where are you sensing God saying, if you could take that off, if you could put that off, we could put on something brand new? Are there serious changes you need to make in your understanding of the false self and what it actually is? Have you seen something of the deadness of your false self that you know you need to abandon in order to be fully given over to God? And where do you see these things manifest in your relationships? Where do you see the false self poisoning your relationships? And can you identify some of those ways so that you can put off the false self and put on the new? So as we reflect on these things today, as always, I'd like to end with the prayer that Mulholland offers to us. If you're seated and can uh, put your feet flat on the floor, open up your hands, breathe deeply as a way of coming in touch with the Spirit of God deep within. Light a candle if you have one. And hear this prayer as it relates to what you're identifying of your false self today. Gracious and loving God, whose cruciform love penetrates into the depths of my being, whose resurrection power awaits to raise me out of my deadness into loving union with you and transformed living in the world. Help me as I consider the disciplines of abandonment of the false self to hear deep within the voice of cruciform love calling me to come and die and in that dying to find new life, transformed life. I ask this in the name of the one who died and rose again, Jesus, my Lord and Savior, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.
Thank you so much for listening. We hope this podcast has strengthened the soul of your leadership in some way today. We're recording these during the Lenten season, and all our current podcast patrons have received the digital version of our updated resource, Lent, A Season of Returning. Right now, when you become a patron at any level, you'll immediately receive this popular resource written by Ruth Haley Barton. Support from our patrons is the engine that keeps this podcast going, so we invite you to visit transformingcenter.org patron today and become a patron. Your support at any level is so encouraging.